Welcome to the Auto Trader Podcast. I'm here with my colleague, Mr. Reno Farid, class photographer, Ferrari man, loves his Italians. Definitely, please allude a little bit more to that. Okay, well, it's not just Ferrari. I like exotics and supercars and all of that as equally. Um, and my speciality is just Ferrari. Yeah. There's your man right there. So if you have any Ferrari related questions and also content you'd like to see, go and check out the website. Yeah. Definitely. And then you have me who likes attainable sports cars. <laughs> Very attainable sports cars. Those that tend to break down quite often. <laughs> That's a myth. But we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think we're going to circle back to that a little bit later. Just a little bit later. So stay tuned for that, definitely. So but speaking about cars that don't necessarily break down, that's mm -hmm. new cars. Yeah. And you've been driving some pretty cool new cars. Mm -hmm. So what was one of the first ones? So recently we attended the Ford Puma launch, which was in Cape Town, which our very lovely colleague, Ane, as Albert says, down there. So hello, Ane, how are you doing? Uh, we will segue to the weather report for later in Cape Town, but let's talk about the Puma first. So what is the Puma, basically? The Puma has been around in Europe for some time now, since 2019, uh, to be exact. And it only reads South African shores this year because Ford at the moment didn't really have smaller passenger cars. You know, we've got your buckies, you've got your commercial vehicles, your vans and all that. And the Puma came and said, we need to fill the void that the Fiesta has left. Key thing being Fiesta, not EcoSport, because it's not poised to be an EcoSport replacement. It's more the Fiesta replacement. Even when you look at the sizing and the dimensions of the car, it's very Fiesta-y, if that's even a word. Yeah, but that's, that's a little bit confusing because obviously Fiesta was just outright a hatchback. Yeah. Whereas the Puma is a crossover and the EcoSport's a crossover. So that's why for me, that lineage of EcoSport falling away, Puma coming in, yeah. makes a lot more sense than the Puma replacing, but do explain. You'd be surprised because remember the EcoSport was an Indian manufactured vehicle. The Puma is strictly European. Okay. So even when we look at the dimensions, the dimensions of the Puma compared to the EcoSport and Fiesta, it closely resembles the Fiesta. I'll say it's only slightly bigger, only slightly more ground clearance, but it's, you can see clear as day, it's a replacement for the Fiesta. And then Let's not even uh, go too far also because it has the same interior oh. as the current generation Fiesta, which is installed in South Africa. Boo-hoo, I know. But uh, for what it is, I'll say it's a good vehicle. Mm -hmm. Definitely is. You've got the one liter EcoBoost produces 92 kilowatts, 170 newton meters, and the EcoBoost engines are pokey. They're fun, fuel-efficient motors as well. And you really can't go wrong with this vehicle. But... This is where people have a bit of a divide, is the price. Okay. So the titanium, which is the base spec model, goes for 586K. Okay. Then the ST Vignale, that goes for 613. Okay. Now, everyone's not all up in arms like, oh, but this is more expensive than the EcoSport and blah, 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 and that. But this is the key thing. You need to look at uh, the competition of the vehicle. And yeah. let's take the Tiger, Volkswagen Tiger, for example. Now, people say the Tiger is cheaper, but this is the thing also I want to encourage to um, the general buying public is that don't just look at the RRP, recommended retail price of the vehicle, and just be like, ah, you know, this is the price and call it a day and that. Remember, vehicles tend to have options. Yes. And this is uh, particularly the case I've seen with a lot more European vehicles, mostly German cars like your Volkswagens, your Mercedes and BMWs of the like. 
is that, yes, you see the base price. But then let's say if you spec a Ford Puma, no, no, not a Puma, sorry, a Volkswagen Tiger to the same spec as the Ford Pumas, you're paying around about the same price. Yeah. So, so it comes out there so the base price is cheaper. Exactly. But the moment you, you spec for spec, get it even close, then that's where you see the real price of these people. Exactly that. So I think it's to encourage everyone that don't just look at the price and just write it off. Go and see what is offered within the vehicle and then even in its competition as well. Mm. Um, go and see what specification is there. And you know that would suit your lifestyle for the most part. The Puma, to elaborate a bit more, it comes full house for all intents and purposes when we're talking about the ST Vignala and even the Titanium as well. For that base specification, it comes pretty well equipped. You got your infotainment system, you got uh, your six speakers for your infotainment and everything else, your cruise control and the like. So it's not Spartan, not in the slightest, I would say. So it, it is a good vehicle, but I think people need to warm up to it, mm. is how I put it. How do you feel about the Puma Reno? So, so in terms of warming up to it i think for me the first place where i need to warm up to is the face it's like i know they called it a puma but it really does look like a cat if you know what i mean the You're little smiley mouth and the big eyes and all so for me the front styling but i mean styling is always like subjective yeah. so that's going to take some time to warm up to from the rear it's a beautiful car like I really i do to enjoy that styling um, obviously the interior, as soon as we get our test model, then, mm -hmm. then I think that's where we're going to explore a little bit more and yeah. feel where all the plastics are and where all the soft touches yeah. materials are. The one thing that I wanted to find out for you, and this is sort of the, the, the sore point for a lot of car buyers is mm -hmm. the fact that it, yes, it's now like that very small engine, but everybody know the EcoBoost has, yeah. or the EcoBoost motor that came into the EcoSport. Those small little one-liter turbocharged motors are great. How is it in the Puma? In the Puma, even though it's slightly bigger compared to the Fiesta, it feels fine. Mm. I mean, we were at the coast, so cars are always going to feel a little bit more perky. Um, but as it goes, it's smooth. Not really as punchy as the Fiesta EcoBoost, I would say, in that application. Okay. But uh, for what it is, it pulls its weight fine. Takes passengers, luggage, no issue at all. Okay. And remember, this is also a platform that they used in WRC, which yeah. we saw, which is World Rally Championship. And from what we saw, it's like, it's capable. It definitely is. And I think if you really are a fan of the Ford Fiesta, then I think the Puma is the next step, pretty okay. much. Okay. But coming back to what you mentioned about the face, yes, it does look like a cat, coincidentally. <laughs> but in the same breath as well, um, you tested a car, or film, sorry, a car that uh, looked quite similar styling-wise to the Puma. And it's also Italian. Tell me more. Which car is that? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, no, Sean and I, we uh, filmed the Maserati Grecale. Oh. And the Grecale and the Puma, if you actually put those two next to one another, mm -hmm. it's much closer than you think. I think a lot of people like not to say anything bad about either, mm. but I think they get mistaken for one another a lot on the road, you know? Um, oh, boom. Yeah. So, so no, there's, there's definitely, you can see a lot of manufacturers heading that way. Mm. Even if you look at sort of the aura 003, um, oh, yeah. I mean, that's an EV model. Um, but that also has that big 
bulging round of like eyes. I want to call it eyes, but headlamps. Um, and then the Grecale has them and now the Puma has them. So a lot of manufacturers are now going back to that very surprised cat face. Surprised cat face look on the front of it. Um, so yeah, it's, I think because traditionally all of those manufacturers were very sharp line. Yeah. And now they're heading back that way. But yeah. What animal is next? I wonder. I don't know. Springbok maybe. <laughs> let's hope. Let's hope. But on another topic as well. So in terms of new cars that have come out. So the Honda Fit EHEV hybrid also launched last week. And coincidentally, today it just got delivered to the office. So I have that as a December car, which is going to be fun. It's going to use no fuel. That's for certain. That's the thing. That's the lovely part of those hybrid vehicles is that especially the way Honda and a lot of other manufacturers configure them. It's like you almost mostly rely on the battery power. Yeah. And so you actually spend so very little on fuel. So for the December car, <laughs> it's ideal. And if we're going to actually talk figures on that. So claim fuel consumption is 3.7 liters per 100 Ks, which is next to nothing. Yeah. That's two Coke bottles. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's motorcycle levels of consumption. Pretty much that. And yes, Honda also does really nice motorcycles as well. We also have motorcycle reviews as well, which are done by our very lovely colleague, Mr. Lawrence Mini. So go check him out in his leathers. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now tell me about your Honda Fits because now the Fits came out a few years ago. Mm. So what is exactly different between this one? So this one in particular, it's the facelift. So all new styling and we do get a performance bump as well by 10 kilowatts. So from 80 kilowatts to 90 kilowatts, which, whoa, you know, it's going to pull you back in your seat. VTEC just kicked in. But uh, <laughs> from the electric motor itself, you do get uh, 12 kilowatts and 131 Newton meters okay. from that electric motor. So total power outputs, we're looking at 90 kilowatts and 253 Newton meters. So... No, we haven't driven it yet. Yeah. So it stands for speculation to see how it's going to function and perform in uh, real world testing. But uh, from what uh, we've seen in terms of just the press release info, it's gonna, it's not going to pull the hair off your legs or your no. shins, basically. No, no. Is that a bad analogy? No, it's not a hard hatch at all. <laughs> but uh, for what it is, to handle the daily duties, and you, know, you have the magic seat system as well, which I'm told is a brilliant system. I'm yet to test it out myself. Yeah. Um, and just for the December duties, I think it's going to be a grand December car. So look out for the content for that as well. I'll say now, definitely you guys must keep your eyes out on the social pages. You can obviously go onto TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, yeah. LinkedIn, yeah, we're everywhere. So just keep an eye out. It's going to be video reels and photos and just feedback, general feedback. Um, go and jump on our website and read Tay's review on that wicked <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so from sort of new cars mm. we now shift back to the old cars and that's where I, we're talking about sort of looping back to cars that do break <laughs> it doesn't break it's a myth so sean i blame you for this can we please put a picture of sean up on screen we, with a smug we, face we, we're definitely going to put a picture up on screen of sean um, but yeah, what particular car is Sean giving you trouble? Uh, it's a car that will be revealed fairly soon is all I'm going to say. So okay. stay tuned for that. Okay. But it's an attainable sports car. Well, it was attainable. 
back in the day because it was marketed. And this is actually a thing that I've seen um, isn't too popular nowadays. I mean, it's a changing landscape of uh, motor cars or, or no automotive industry. Sorry, let me say in that there was a time when there were cars that competed in motorsport. You know, they also had homologation units and everyone had that desirable. Oh, this is a sports car. I can actually afford to buy in that because to a lot of people, let's say a Ferrari F350 at the time. I'm, I'm bad. I'm bad with Ferrari codes. Yeah, so I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand what an F350 is. A360 360, yes, there we go. That's the one. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> sure. Um, we're only a certain percentage or demographic of people were only going to afford those vehicles. 100%. I mean, that's like you need to be within the 10% of the world's mm-hmm. like earners to to actually be able to even consider owning a car like that. Exactly that. So let's take, uh, for example, sake, a BMW M3, for example. Yeah. Now, it was attainable to a lot of people, let's say in 2003, when the E46 came around. That's the one with the dolphin shape, as people like to call it. Now, fast forward, let's say 20 years up to now, in that those vehicles are fetching such a high price now. Now, some people will equate it to classic car tax and that, and just nostalgia tax, because nowadays with the shift of the automotive industry, a lot of people are going back to those older cars and reliving the older days of, you know, when I used to have hair, it used to be like this. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I apologize. Where I do need to come up or, or stand up for the current manufacturers like the BMW. Mm. Um, sure, there's like that tax, that historic tax of people knowing the significance of an M car mm. in general and the M3 and now M4s. Mm. Um, but what you also need to sort of take into consideration, excuse me, is that the current M3s and M4s really do compete mm. with high powered sports cars, like dedicated sports cars. So you've yeah. got this company that essentially is making sort of premium consumer vehicles yeah. that has the performance to take on some pretty, very fast, significant cars out there. Yeah. But now this is the thing also, like those cars have gone on in age, you know, been through different owners and that. So you'd expect, okay, you know, the value would come down, which is far from the case with a lot of these cars. Like even some older Golf GTIs and that, or VR6s even, let's say, for the older people in the crowd watching that. You'll see, you know, a car like this, you think, ah, it's maybe like 50,000 Rand or something, you know, that came along at some point. Now you're almost paying 200K for such a car. Yeah. And you sit there and you think, but how? How did this happen? So like that's to, to take that BMW's like specific car or the specific example, mm. 200K gets you like a running one. Yeah. If you want a cleaner one, it's going to be 300K. Desirable. If you want the low mileage, hundred percent original front to back. That's going to be four hundred to five hundred k, because that's sort of how the the classic market sort of op- operates is mm. originality, obviously. Yeah, rarity definitely, mm-hmm. and then rarity can come into okay. What's your color of the car? Yeah. What is the wheel specification? What color interior did you choose? You know that type of thing. So, so even though they could be 600 m3s out there yeah 
like if one of them, one is painted in some kind of a green, a Nürburgring green, for instance, <laughs> and there's only one of them, that's going to be hella expensive mm. because there was only one. And there only was one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so so it's a lot of these cars are, are being speculated with higher prices because of these smaller details. But it's a similar situation with Ferraris. It's a similar situation with Lamborghinis. The moment the color and the spec that the car was originally came from the factory mm. is a little bit more rare, then boom, price for the roof. And the other thing I've even seen, I've seen it in the Honda and Toyota communities as well, with some of like your older classic Toyotas, I'd say from the 90s and that, your GLI twin cams, if you will, and that. Like you see... I've even seen quite a few adverts of that lately where someone is trying to sell one. They're like, no, it belonged to some old Danny or Gogo or somewhere. Then it said, they even put them in the pictures. I was like, yeah. just to try and justify the price of the sale on that. And they're like, it has all the original books. It has the original radio. It has all of this. And this is the price we want. Yeah. So coming back to what you mentioned about the originality and all, I think if you have that justification, mm. you can pretty much call your price. That's the thing. So the, the, the thing is, it's like I've, I've had plenty of experience with Ferraris, photographing Ferraris, and not just the modern stuff, but actually a lot more of the classic stuff as well. Mm. And modern classic stuff, if you can call it that. And while photographing it, the, the, the owner or the person who's like selling it on consignment, mm. they would run you through. And they will tell you, okay, you need to get photos of this, 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 this. Yeah. And it comes down to, is that the original toolkit? Because mm -hmm. if it's the original toolkit that came out of factory, if you wanted to even just replace that toolkit that came out of factory, mm -hmm. it's going to be 30, 40,000 rand for a Ferrari toolkit. And then that's just like small money. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it was a Daytona. Yeah, it was the 71 Daytona. It's toolkit, the, the whole case and everything that you almost source individual tools because those toolkits are so scarce. And I think the toolkit itself is like a hundred, 120,000 Rand. And that's just one part of that car. You, you're not even talking about, has it undergone any restoration? Is it the original factory color? What is original on this car? Does it have the right seat? Does it have the right stitching? Does it, is the lever original Italian lever, you know? So there's all of those little details that you have to keep in consideration when it comes to classic vehicles, but like speculating what the price is going to be. And then obviously I feel as though over time, there's more millionaires, dollar millionaires and billionaires in the world mm. than there was in the past. And I think like statistics will even prove that that's the case. So now you take a car that, for instance, let's say, in the 70s, you could buy a Ferrari 250 GTO, like the one that's on the table there. There you go. A Ferrari 250 GTO, you could buy for like $3,000 to $6,000. Mm. The other day, one sold for £46 million. Pounds. Grief. And the whole reason is, is because there's like only 36 of them, like Series 1 original 250 GTOs. So now you've got like this very limited number of a very desirable car mm. and you've got a lot of demand. Jeez. 
And that's where the issue comes in. And I think that's why car prices is just through the roof. It's ridiculous. Honestly, ridiculous. But there's money to be had there. But coming back to the whole photography thing. Now, photographing cars that are going to go up for sale. Uh, there's a bit of a thing or trend I've noticed lately, especially when um, private sales do tend to come about, is that uh, taking proper pictures of your car is paramount mm-hmm. when you're going to be doing used car ads and that. So I'll tell you about some of the worst ones I've seen. So for one, lack of pictures. Yeah, That's one of them. The second is... That's you know the effort that it takes to actually get the pictures done. So I know some people tend to do it like maybe in a driveway or something like that, or let's just rush it quickly because I need to go to lunch or something along those lines. So some of the choice ones I've seen is that, you know, you see a kid with nappies running around within the sale picture. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. And then you see the description in that. Some, okay, there's maybe a dog that's chilling in the seat or something. Like, how do, what can you actually advise to people? In terms of taking pictures for a car that's going to go for sale. That's not not to stretch it to the Ferrari extent, but let's take yeah. an average car, like a little Suzuki Swift or something. Okay, so it, to give advice to people, like if you're going to like sell your car on all to trader, mm. they're going to obviously require photos. Yeah. And if you want somebody to instantly like your advert mm. on, our, on our platform, it is definitely volume of images. Yeah. So firstly, you're going to take a image straight up front. You're going to take a front free quarter and you're going to take a side profile. Mm-hmm. So go and find a location that doesn't matter which direction you're shooting into. Mm-hmm. It's not distracting. Don't have a distracting element. Don't have people, don't have pets or animals in the background. Rather have a nice quiet neighborhood. I don't mind about houses or anything like that, mm-hmm. but have a sort of non-distracting background. Try and get a picture of every single angle. Mm. Same with the interior. Try and get the entire dash. Go a little bit closer up to the odometer. Show the mileage. You know, that type of thing. Mm. Make sure that the car's switched on and idling so that people can see if there's any warning lights going. Mm. Because that's something that people are going to look for. Um, you know, I don't think like with a Swift, you necessarily have to photograph the inside of a boot or, mm. you know, that there is a spare tire. But if you're busy doing it, why not just yeah. take some pictures of it? Yeah. And then something that actually came up uh, recently that I've also like come across like these people trying to sell their cars. And it was actually a discussion on a thread where mm. they said, if the seller is actually photographing some of their car shortfalls, Mm. Meaning that there might be a little scratch on the rear bumper where, or a little ding or, you know, where it touched the pole or whatever, or there's a little bit of a scratch rim, whatever. Mm. It's actually more, how can I put it? Like people like it because mm. the seller seems honest about where the car shortfalls in. Yeah. So if they seller is willing to point out, like, sure, there's a little bit of a scratch on the wheel and there's a little bit of a ding on the bumper, then it means that he's honest or she's honest about everything else about the car mm. because they're showing that honesty up yeah. front. So sure, I know it's not like lacquer to show imperfections, imperfections yeah. in the car, but it actually can convey that if you say that a car has been serviced recently and the car is is clean otherwise and hasn't been in an accident or so on, then people are going to believe you because mm. you've 
you you obviously willing to point out yeah. the imperfections. It also helps for the pricing of the vehicle as well. And I guess also the pool of clients that, well, not clients, so people that potential buyers for your vehicle yeah. that could come through. You get better buyers in a sense, rather than low ballers that are going to come and say, oh, you know, I'm only going to offer this much or something along those lines. Or in the, in the same sense as well, what also taking appropriate photos and also the appropriate amount of photos mm-hmm. um, also alludes to as well is that uh, it also saves you a lot of stress because then you're going to get less people calling you to ask, you know, questions where if you actually took that photo, it would have uh, saved you a bit of time on a phone call or something. 100%. I think we can also extend it to the description of that as well because I've seen quite a few descriptions where people literally just copy spec information. Yep. Spec information is not going to sell a car. When you or used car in particular, let's say in this instance. Now, what I would also advise to everyone is talk about the car story at least. Like, okay, this was bought in such and such a time in my ownership. This is the mileage you covered. This is the condition, so on and so forth. Like, okay, the engine is still healthy. Mention the imperfections because honesty is the best policy. Yes. Yeah. But I think uh, that's where we'd advise that's where you're going to find a lot of value. Let's put it like that. Now, the that, good photos, good, good photo. description. Yeah, but under description, just to add a little last little point on that. Yeah. Write lyrically. I know that not everybody is a natural writer or wordsmith, wordsmith or, you know, that type of thing. But don't just write specification. It's great to to have a list of specification for the reader or the, the buyer. Um, but try and tell a story. Mm. Trust me, that works. Because for a buyer, if you're telling a story, it means that you cared. Mm. You had an experience of this car. It's time to move on. But you you, you still love your car. If you know what I mean. In the beginning, yeah. there was a city golf. Exactly. <laughs> and now it's time to say goodbye. Not yet, not yet, not yet. So I want to find out from you. Yeah. If like a modern classic, because we were like talking about these classic cars Mm. and we're talking about buying and selling cars. So if you had to buy a car now Mm. that you reckon is on a pretty decent price range right now, but it's going to appreciate going forward, what would that be? I'd say Mark 7 Golf GTI. Mm and a Toyota GT86. And the reason why I say for the Mark 7 Golf GTI, I think there's been a lot of uh, people are a bit divisive about the Mark 8 GTI because they say it's a bit of a step backwards from the Mark 7, which could be crowned as the creme de la creme in terms of golfs and that. But we've seen that fluctuation before with yeah. uh, the GTI models where some will say, yeah, this generation is better. This one is maybe not that you know good and that. You know, they're all good cars. GTI is fantastic. That's why they've been around for so long. Yeah. But uh, hold on to that. Keep it nice, neat, maintained and everything. And I'm pretty sure that's going to appreciate in value. The same kind of applies to the GT86 and that, look, you don't get sports coupes like what you used to have back in the day. 100%. So, you know, cars like that, I'd say the same rule applies to both and that keep it nice, keep it maintained. Don't do anything silly to the vehicle mm-hmm. and it's going to appreciate in value. Yeah. You know, mileage, it's, it's debatable because just because you also have a low mileage car doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it's the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. You do get cars with higher mileage, but so long as they've been cared for and maintained, yeah. that there's still gems in their own right. 
So that's what I would say. What would you pick? The GT86 is pretty, pretty up there for me as well. I think they've, they've reached that sort of plateau. Yeah. I don't think they're going to drop too much more unless you really abuse it or modify it or anything like that. Um, so yeah, that's a very, very good option. Um, you and I have spotted in the parking lot, as particular Suzuki Swift that's in this building. Yes, actually. Yeah, a yeah, Swift yeah. Sport, Friedel. <sighs> the first generation, <laughs> one of only 100 brought into South Africa. And I reckon that because now people are not seeing the significance of it yet. But now that the next generation of Suzuki is going to almost drop next year. Yeah. I think there's going to be people that's going to want to try and or start collecting the yeah. earlier versions. And that freed off me. I reckon that sort of now is a good time. That's a good choice, actually. A pretty good choice. And then to just sort of poetically end it off. In terms of a very expensive car that I think is going to appreciate very soon, mm-hmm. the Ferrari F360 that you referenced earlier. <laughs> so for the about the same price as a mid-spec to high-spec BMW X3, mm-hmm. you can get a Ferrari F360 these days. Um, and I reckon that our generation sort of grew up on that. Mm. And our generation, well, some of the more lucky ones and that studied harder, became lawyers and doctors. Find and all oil that. in their garden or something. Exactly. Like the they're going to come into money pretty soon and they're going to remember that poster car. Mm. And soon you're going to see those popping up. And plus they're more than, yeah, they're about 20, just over 20 years old. Oh, yeah. So they're officially within the classic timeline. Yeah. Um, so I reckon you're going to see the 360s go up significantly. The challenge to Dali has always been mm-hmm. sort of creme de la creme up there. Uh, prices was always high, but I think the normal 360 Modena or the 360 Spiders, they're going to go up. Oh, yeah. No, those are really such cool Ferraris back in those days. Playing video games, involving them in that. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely a poster car. I agree. Definitely. Uh, thank you very much, Tay. I think that's that's all we have time for at yep. the moment. Any last thoughts? <sighs> Buying a car is hard, but it's fun. But you can do it easy on Autotrain. Yeah.